God pours out his spirit like at Pentecost and people begin living in a completely confounding way that just turns culture, society on its head because all of a sudden now people are living like they should. Hello and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. In this episode, Joe Durso examines the teaching of Paul to the Romans 6, 15 through 19, where we learn the Christian's primary source of conquering sin and death. Truth is our most loving friend and deception is the enemy. The title for this message is Obedient from the Heart. As always, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message, Obedient from the Heart. Dear Heavenly Father, once again we come before your holy word. That is a mirror, and in that mirror we get to see what we look like in light of the God of eternity. In your light, the light of your word. We are humbled by it. We understand that all the miracles that you perform every day through providence by which you just put all the pieces of everyone's life together at the same time, you do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think every minute of every day just bringing together all the providential happenings of everyone's life. You make it all fit every second. It's just everything about life from that perspective is completely mind-boggling. And you all do it, and you do it all in a spirit of holiness and righteousness and truth, and justice, and mercy, and grace, and forgiveness, and love. You are a God worth serving. You are the only God. You are the truth. I stand in awe of all the things that you do, and my wife and I, in our life together, everything that you have brought to pass, I just stand in awe as we just go through life like on a sailboat, just being moved along by your providential hand. Certainly, all in grace. I pray, Lord, that you would get all the honor and all the glory in this message as we look into Romans. I just pray that you would take me out of the way so that we might see Jesus. We ask it all for his honor and glory. In his name we pray. Amen. I'll be reading from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 19. Name of this message is Obedient from the Heart. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Far from it. Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, 
you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your body's parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. In the previous section, verses 12 to 14, Paul admonished the Romans to not let sin reign in their mortal bodies. Let's look at it. 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. In this uh, section following, we now enter this way in which Paul does. He, he looks at the way, the arguments he makes he's, as he preaches the truth, and then he un uncovers where the devil, the flesh, will take us to go in order to counteract his godly teaching. So when he speaks about bodies, he's referring to that part of us that is not the new creation. The believer is given a new heart at, a, at rebirth. You must be born again, Jesus said. We need to be regenerated, a new heart regenerated by the grace of God. That God desires, and only God can create a heart that will do what is right. However, we have not been made perfect. Our minds, our emotions, our wills can be influenced by evil. A point I hope to make during this, 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 this lesson. He tells us the last time, sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. That's uh, an admonition. It's something that has to take place because God has created something new. It's something that's in the heart of a believer. We can get messed up. We can stumble. We can fall. We can be deceived. We can be, you know, set off the right path. But in our hearts, the true believer, the true Christian has been transformed into something new through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. Death no longer has dominion over him. And if we're in Christ, then dominion is not to have, sin is not to have dominion over us. Therefore, we are a new creation in Christ. So where will the devil and our flesh go as a result of this overcoming truth? So Paul's telling us how to live an overcoming life. He foresees the strategy of the enemy and asks the question by which he started the chapter, how be it in a slightly different form, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And he gives the same reply here to this rhetorical question, 
may it never be. God forbid such a thing. We haven't been freed from sin to go on sinning. Being freed from sin by grace, the enemy of our soul, be it the world, the flesh, or the devil will tell us. So now being freed, we are free to do whatever we want. And there is this reality set before us of what freedom really is. I mean, that's what he's pointing to in this whole entire passage. And what he continues to point to is this element of freedom and what real freedom is all about. And that's why he says, what then? Okay, so we're not under the law, we're under grace. So because we're under grace, can we do whatever we want? Can we just go on sinning? And his reply, as it was at the beginning of the chapter, shall we sin because we are under law, but under grace? May it never be. We haven't been set free to sin. Do you not know, he continues, verse 16, that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, see, he's getting this fact that we may not realize, is that we're always presenting ourselves as slaves. We either present ourselves as slave to sin or we present ourselves as slave to God. We ask, but I thought we were set free. Well, that's true. And it's not really meant to be humorous. So there, there, there is that sense when we confuse the truth of what the reality is in life. Reality of life is when you're set free by God, you are set free to be a slave to God. Slavery in the sense of God being the master and we being the slave is a whole different concept than slavery perverted as it is when it's men to men. We, we're all equal in the sense that we're all created by God and we're all created to serve God. In serving God, we serve one another, but we don't serve one another as slaves we serve one another as servants because we do not serve one another as if one we were the other person were God. There's only one God. And before God, we are all slaves. Why? Because it is God's will that the, the servant of God or the slave of God realizes that only that will is righteous. 6,000 years and counting has proved what slavery to sin results in. Mistreating one another, hating one another, coveting what others have against the will of God. The list goes on, lying and cheating and stealing and adultery and fornication and on and on in which we hurt one another because of so-called freedom through deception by the devil, by our own flesh, by the world, the cultures at large, to tell us that we're, we're free, we're God. No, there is a God. He's the creator God. He's the eternal God. We have a beginning. We have a starting point. We begin from zero. We don't know anything. We're born as babies, as children that can't even support ourselves. And then as we grow up by the grace of God, and every breath we take by the grace of God, he is the source of all life, of all truth, of all holiness, of all goodness. 
I've been reading in Jeremiah, and you know there's a verse in Jeremiah that says, you know, the babies were killed in the days of the king at the time of Jeremiah. And when the babies were being slaughtered as sacrifice, God says, these things never entered my mind. It's almost a confusing statement. But the truth is, ungodliness doesn't, ne doesn't enter God. He knows what we're going to do. He knows beforehand when he allowed us the quote-unquote freedom to sin, which actually enslaved us to sin and its results. And as a result of that, we came up with things and ideas that would never cross God's holy mind. And there was a plan that's being worked out under his sovereignty, a beautiful plan in bringing us to a place we could never arrive at. And that's a whole other lesson we're not going to get into here. But the point is, God is the source of what is good. Be holy as my Father in heaven, or be perfect as my Father in heaven, or be complete as my Father in heaven is complete. Holy. Father in heaven is holy. He's true. He's righteous. He's just. All the goodness that can be found he is the source of it. It comes forth from him. He's the eternal, the big person in the universe from which comes life, and there can be no life apart from him. So this whole point in what life is all about gets reduced to who's in charge, who's in control, who has to be obeyed. And it's God. Sin tells us otherwise. It says, no, no, I'll be the captain of my own vessel. Well, that hasn't worked out so good, and it doesn't work out. And for us who have been converted, who have come to re be regenerated and given a new heart and new eyes to see what we understand, just what the world is. And we call it for what it is, and we don't go on being deceived by what the world and how the world lives. So he's making this point between freedom, what real freedom is. And the person who's set free is set free to only do what is right. And only God can be the real source of what is right. In the compound name of God, he is Jehovah Sitkenuah, the Lord our righteousness. He is the source of our righteousness. And we are never more righteous than when we become his slave. And when we become his slave, we are truly set free. Set free to do what's right. Set free to serve the God who is righteousness, who lives righteously, who imparts righteousness. Then, and only then, are we free to do what is right. So he goes on and he says, What then shall we say, because we are not under law, but under grace, may it never be. Verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So when we obey God, who is righteous, we are righteous. When we go off on our own and do our own thing and sin, then we are unholy, ungodly, unrighteousness. Each one went his own way, Isaiah 53. That is a definition of sin. 
There's only one way. That's God's way. There's only one interpretation of the word. There's only one way of doing anything in the world, and that's God's way. Verse 17. So Paul points out, I'll get to verse 17 in just a second. Paul's, Paul's point is this. Freedom, freedom only goes as far as the truth. Sometimes the question crosses the mind of the believer, why do Christians act that way? Why can't Christians get along or agree on the Word of God? I believe it is safe to say that this chapter and this portion is one of the valid reasons. You see, whenever we, as lost or saved men, buy into a lie, we become the slave of that lie. Should I say that again? Whenever we, as lost or saved men, buy into a lie, we become the slave of the one who told the lie, or a slave of the lie. This Disagreeing in Scripture does not only and first of all cause the enormous sin of division, but ruptures the love we have for one another. Christ's dying admonition was that we should be one. But it makes those who interpret Scripture according to human interpretation slaves. What do I mean? Paul uses the picture of the presentation in this portion. And it's been, he's been making it. We enter the presence of the king and we present ourselves as his servant. It's the picture he's got. Such a, a presentation must be total and particularly to the one and only true God. Quote, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience. You see, there is the presentation It is the presentation of yourself to someone as a slave. Some will ask, why would a believer do such a thing? Why would someone present themselves as a slave to something that's unrighteous? Well, if he knew that that's what he was doing, he he wouldn't do it. But that's the problem. (laughs) The devil is cunning. I mean, our own flesh can be self-deceiving as in Jeremiah. I mean, you know, who knows the condition of his own heart? You know, we deceive ourselves. And we're deceived by others. And we're deceived by the devil. Or by demon. Listen up. This is, this is vital. Because they are or we are deceived at times. We do not realize what we are doing. What... How does it happen, we can ask, and why? One of the reasons is human pride. We always think we have the right answer. We actually just assume, for a multitude of reasons, namely the first one, pride, that we know what's right. I mean, think over your life. How many times have you been wrong? Uh, I mean, the list has got to be long, anything like mine. By which we trust human endeavor and in men before God. We trust human endeavor before God. That's human pride. We adhere, number two, we adhere to the teachings of our beloved church, which, you know, is beloved, beloved by God. If it's a true church, if it's a church that preaches and teaches the gospel, if God in Christ is living in the hearts of those who worship, that we attend and do not properly question all the teachings 
all the teachings to see whether or not they are truly biblical. When that doesn't go on, when we just go on assuming that because the man behind the pulpit as the man behind the microphone is just naturally telling the truth without searching the word, spending a lot of time in prayer, not, not a couple of minutes, you know, Lord, is this from you? With sincerity of heart. you got to pray to pray. you you got to take time to pray. You just can't throw a few words out there and think that you're praying. you got to come to a place where you're honest with yourself and before God. So we all have to question. And he is more, you know, you look at the pastor and he's got the seminary, he's more educated. That's great. But you know what? No matter how educated the man is, particularly if that man is not praying well, he can be deceived too. Anyone can be deceived. And we don't do anybody any good by assuming anything. He must be right. Because if he's not right, it's death to our soul. And I hope to prove this in a few minutes. Study number three to show yourself approved to God. I mean, why? Because we're not studying ourselves. We're letting someone else do it for us. Four. The pulpit that will not be tried and answer humbly for the truths they espouse is not at that point, dare I say it, godly. Humility is the quality first and foremost and forever to the end. That must be in the pulpit. So churches, question away. Pastors, elders, shepherds, Hear what the people have to say and give it the due it deserves because the lowest person in this church who's a born-again believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And no matter how immature they may be, God can speak through anyone. And God might be speaking to you if you're an elder or a pastor in the church. And he might be speaking to you to test your humility to see whether you stop, take a long look. And then if you have biblical answers for the person who's questioning, fine. And then the person who's questioning should stop and listen. But not just because you are who you are as an older Christian, but because you know what you're talking about and it's actually from God. Many pastors do many, have many bad teachings. How do I know that? Because there's so much division and the truth is narrow. If everyone was teaching and preaching and believing the truth, there wouldn't be any division. You understand that? You understand that God's not confused? You understand that God doesn't speak with a forked tongue? He doesn't have double standards? He doesn't speak two things and they're different? God only speaks one thing. That's the way the truth is. And Jesus said, I am the truth. What's that mean? That means we should all be in agreement or somebody's always wrong. Some, most of the time, many people are wrong. But of course, we think we're always right. That's just pride. Number five and last. So then both the speaker and the hearer are responsible to adhere to sound doctrine that sets the believer free to do what is right. If you doubt the things I'm saying, let's consider the rest of Paul's point. He says, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, 
either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. We were once slaves of sin. And so he tells us, do not go on presenting yourselves to sin. We were doing that. And he wouldn't be saying this if we couldn't do it. We can do it. We can make a horrible mistake and present ourselves to the wrong person, to the wrong spirit, to do the wrong thing, and to be re-enslaved again. The The result of presenting ourselves remains the same. We're not saved from sin because we're Christians when we present ourselves to sin for obedience. Understand that? We are not saved from sin because we are Christians when we present ourselves to sin for obedience. We're saved from the punishment in eternity, but we're not saved in the present from sin's evil effect on us. The result of sin for the Christian as the sinner, as a sinner, is separation from God. The sinner only knows separation continually. But the Christian can know it also. The Christian can know what it means to be an overcomer of sin. And he can know what it means to be, unfortunately, separated from God more than he should be. We have a choice. The the lost, as individuals, do not. They never do even a good deed for the right reason because they, they, they don't love God through the person of Jesus Christ. We do. Paul then thanks God by which he makes his argument even stronger. What's he say in 17? He goes on and he, he says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you entrusted. This is a huge point that he makes in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. This obedience comes from God. That's why he's thanking God. Let's understand the sovereignty of God, the power of God. And this is going to become clear in just a minute. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You were entrusted by someone who told the truth. Someone preached the word according to God. He preached it from God's interpretation, God's point of view. As it was written, it was written from that point of view. It was actually taught to us 2,000 years later when it is taught in truth. And then what happens? We become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which we were entrusted. Let us understand what Paul's teaching here. First, we were slaves of sin. Second, we became obedient from the heart. From the heart. This isn't merely an intellectual exercise. It's not just in the head. If it's just in the head, it's not the whole man. You're not going to get where you need to be. The whole man has to be included, and that means intellect, emotions, and will, or the places where we make godly choices. We're not enslaved by, in our emotions. We're not enslaved in our choices, except by choice, by the power of God, so that we live by the power of God, and as an act of choice, we, are enslaved, we enslave ourselves to God. The devil enslaves us to himself. God gives us the choice, frees us to make the right choice, 
to be slaves to him. Third, in Greek, we become obedient from the heart to the teaching that came from God, though it was taught by men, and it made an impression upon our hearts. Such impressions enslave us, whether it be for evil or good. If it is from God, we will be slaves of God and righteousness. If from the devil, we'll be slaves of sin and unrighteousness. But it's from the heart. Why is believing the truth? Why is believing the truth so important? Because of the outcome it produces. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Now in English, that's okay. It's not a, it's not a bad translation. But it doesn't do what it needs to do, as Paul does in the Greek. So that verse 19, if you can read it, go back if you can't later, says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In Greek, what I am saying means laying this argument to rest, bringing it to closure. He's been making an argument. I've been talking about it. This whole idea of slavery and righteousness, slavery and sin, slave, all of that, I'm laying this argument to rest here in human terms. In human terms. Greek, belonging to human beings, especially as contrasted with God. We're limited. We're finite. We're confined to human effort and experience. God is not. And that's what he's using in this terminology. It's a comparative term. There's us, the, the, in, our, in human terms, in our flesh. We're limited. God's not. Because of the weakness, he says in Greek, because of the weakness, in, uh, it's, this is a quote from the Greek scholars who say, an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do, especially as someone becomes wrongly or overly dependent. Now that can go in a lot of different ways. But when we become dependent upon someone other than God, whether it even is of ourselves, doesn't it have to be the culture at large? It doesn't. All it has to be is the sinful flesh that just separates itself from God from, by pride when we are dependent on anything else other than God. We've now become weak. And that's what he's referring to in this passage. Of your flesh. The weakness of your flesh. This word flesh can be good or bad. How so? Well, generally, it's negative. Referring to making decisions or actions according to self. It's done apart from faith. It's independent from God's inworking. See, this is the difference between revival and living a normal life carnal, fleshly, independent life. In revival, and you can have to study them in history, like the Great Awakening that went for 30 or 40 years in America and England, God pours out his spirit like at Pentecost, and people begin living in a completely confounding way that just turns culture, society on its head because all of a sudden now people are living like they should, like God wants them to. So this idea of the flesh is according to self done apart from faith, independent from God's inworking. Thus, 
what is of flesh carnal is by definition displeasing to the Lord. Even things that seem respectable, get it? Even things that seem respectable. In short, flesh generally relates to unaided human effort. Unaided from God. Unaided human effort, i.e. decisions, actions that originate from self or are empowered by self. This is carnal of the flesh and proceeds out of the untouched, unchanged part of us, i.e. what is not transformed by God. So in conclusion, I just read verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, it's increasing as you go down this road, and then he says, and this is what brings it to a halting conclusion. I mean, you really, we're not to go down that road. So now, present your members, that is the aided part of our flesh, aided by God, resulting as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Sanctification is the transformation that takes part, that takes us and separates us from the world and separates us to God. Sanctification takes place when we begin to realize in the depths of our heart that we can't do this alone. All, all we can do is give ourselves wholly and completely to God. Just very recently in my own personal life, I, I was struggling. You know, we moved from, from Maryland down to South Carolina. We took on a new adventure and partial retirement, come down near the grandkids and family and son, daughter-in-law, and started a new life, a new, a new beginning, a new chapter in our life. And it's a struggle. And I'm not independently wealthy by any means, short, any imagination. Um, you know, and that's, that's fine. It gives me reason to depend on God. You know, but it's a, it's a struggle. It's always a struggle for anybody. Anybody says it isn't, when it, you know, then they're not realizing the warfare they're in. And I faced the same struggle, and I struggled for a number of months. And one day, sitting in my closet on the floor and praying, you know, it was like, okay, I just, I have to continue to do this, or I just have to come to an end of self. I have to say, Lord, meet me right here. I need you. I need you right now. What do I need you for? I need you for faith. I need to trust. You know, it was a really, really good day. It's not like I hadn't done that before, but it just, it had more depth of meaning. And, and praying, I'm telling you, praying can't be done in minutes. It has to take a lot more than that. And you have to, sometimes you have to work through it for days to get to where you need to be, where you can just throw everything off to God and say, I'm just done. I just can't do this. It's impossible. I need you to, to work through me. And without going into all the details, you know, a job opened up, you know, a church situation, situations uh, just began to become real and apparent 
and the, and I and I continue every day to have to walk in faith and see God work 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 every day and every day it becomes more apparent and more apparent and I could go on to just family relations being reunited and things going on that just have been nothing short of providential God just working things together for good to those who trust him and that's the word in this message is the word from Paul laying the flesh aside laying the unaided flesh aside and recognizing that we need God so desperately that's the word of the gospel we need him for salvation we need him if you're out there to bow your head and say I'm a sinner and there is no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ his death, his sufferings on the cross, his resurrection from the dead to be found in him, identified in him, so all my sins are covered. And Jesus is, he's the love of my life and God sees the love that we have and we're forgiven. It's, the blood cleanses us from all sin and we're now in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and our hearts being transformed and we're being sanctified because we humble ourselves daily and we recognize that apart from the word of God, we know nothing. And we can be easily deceived, no matter how intelligent, how scholarly the person is. Deception makes no exceptions. Sin makes no exceptions with anyone. Deception is its something that none of us can afford. Discernment is a much greater value than we usually recognize. You have to be discerning and not assume you're discerning. Discerning because of the people you gather around. It's God that you have to gather around. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word from Paul in Romans. Lord, bless not just this one, but this ongoing um, lesson through lessons through Romans. I just pray, Lord, that you make your people holy. We all need to live holy lives. Why? Well, it's grace that taught our heart to feel fear. Heart, grace that teaches our, our heart to humble ourselves and respect and honor you the way we should and now live our lives as we ought because there is a power to do so. The power is in the resurrected Christ. It's not in ourselves. Lord, make that point clear to all those who hear this. May they just dwell on it study the scripture verses for themselves and and bow their head and if they need help to reach out to someone to help them i ask these things lord for your honor and your glory and your pleasure in jesus name amen